very glad to be able to uh, address you tonight, and it's one of my favorite topics. Every three years, I have a three-year rotation at Faith that I teach in one particular slot, and this year is baptism. It starts in January, so I'm every morning at 5 a.m. doing something with baptism. And, uh, and this, what I'd like to, to talk about tonight is has to do with one aspect of baptism that I haven't talked to you about, which not many yet left, but anyway, this is one of them, and that is what to do about the passages of Scripture that seem to indicate that baptism is necessary for salvation. And, and I would like to just take a look at two, and then a case study that helps us understand uh, a, better, uh, a better understanding of that. Now, this question is different than uh, the Lutheran uh, understanding of baptism where you are justified at your baptism, which is so strange when you think about it, because here's Martin Luther saying you need to be, you're justified by faith, and then baptism has always been called the sacrament of faith in, in these other uh, communions and, and uh, denominations. And so it's kind of funny because the one sacrament of faith has no evidence of any faith in it when you baptize a baby. And, and then him connecting it. And it all goes back in his mind to First Peter chapter 3. And I'm not asking for another time to come and speak to you about this, but I didn't have a way to get all of that in here for tonight. Because I started looking at First Peter 3 quite a bit and I ended up with eight pages worth of stuff. And... I realize I'm going to have to cut that down. So I'm going to give you this part of it tonight and maybe some other time in the future or whatever. We'll look at First Peter. In fact, I'm going to uh, write an article on it and that's what really helps me. Kind of, uh... Actually, First Peter, honestly, you want to make the, the real truth of it. It's kind of complicated, First Peter 3. And there's so many things going on there that uh, you deal with this and this and this and this and this, and it's all sort of connected in one passage. But uh, so I need to actually organize it in my mind just a bit more uh, before I do that. Now, I want us to ask a question, and we need to understand of what it's like, and it's something that probably none of us can really relate to personally. But what is it like? to be in a, in a persecuted society for being a Christian. And, and so what I'm trying to think of, and have you cast your mind back on, what would it be, have been like to consider being a Christian in the first century? Now, in the first century, uh, you had the Roman rule, and part of your duty to show, and of course, this is an empire. That's much different than a kingdom. A kingdom is like one ethnic group being ruled by someone who's most um, often part of that ethnic group. That's why King Herod was really so unpopular because the Edomian sort of a, a long sort of way around the block to be a, a king of the Jews kind of thing. But anyway, so the Roman Empire is made up of many kingdoms, many ethnicities, many groups, and you have one emperor eventually, uh, Caesar, to rule over that. And, and so one way to and, and of course, the, the easiest thing for a king is that they have, uh, you know, nationalism. They, you know, we're all part of the same group. Well, an, an emperor doesn't have that, so they have to get loyalty some other way. And certain ways to do it, but but part of it was the emperor worship. So you had to put a put a uh, an offering, uh, sort of a, uh, 
Something you burn and it smells. What's that called? Incense. incense. Thank you. You put the incense in front of an image of the emperor or the gods and, and say you do it, and then you get this labellum that's, that, that shows that you did it. You sacrificed the emperor, and then with that, you would be you know, out of, out of any harm's way. And the Christians in those days, uh, early on, they, they kind of were looked upon as a sect of Judaism. And of course, Judaism would never go along with this. The Romans gave the Jews a divine exception or a, a Roman exception anyway. And, and so they didn't have to do that. But eventually, Christianity would be uh, seen as something different than Judaism, not just a sect or a group of Judaism. So anyway, I want us to answer the question, what does it mean to become a Christian? And put that into your mind in the context of a first century Christian, okay? And while most of the scripture was being written, uh, there were, there was still this kind of connection between uh, that Christianity was a sect of Judaism, but, but that was fading as, as the first century goes on. And eventually they'll come to see, Rome will come to see that, hey, Christians aren't really part of the Jewish sect at all. Why? Because you have this guy called the Apostle Paul, and who's he witnessing to? He's witnessing to all these Gentiles, and there's no way you can say that they're just all becoming part of the Jewish faith. But anyway, so I want you to think about what does it mean to become a Christian? And if you look in scriptures, and you listen to people exhorting people to become believers, you know, sometimes evangelists or whatever, you hear different things. You need to do what? You need to believe, right? Yes. You need to trust Christ. Yes. You need to, to repent. That's another word that's often used too. You also sometimes, Romans 10, need to confess, right? All of these things. And then from uh, uh, John 1, 12 and Romans uh, 6, 31, uh, sorry, so Romans 6, 23, uh, the, the, the gift of God is, 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 a, is, a, is a gift. And, and so you need to receive the gift. And of course, now that to me, you know, there is some of that language in John 1, but uh, I'd say something else about that later. But the point is, is that that can be kind of confusing for many of our Catholic friends because they say, oh yeah, I received Christ last Saturday night at Mass. You know, I receive Christ every week. You know, no problem. I have received Christ. I am really good with that. But, and that's why I try to be real careful in the verb I choose in, as far as trusting Christ or believing Christ. But anyway, those are kind of some of the, the, process, uh, the, the, the way Scripture is describing about how to become a Christian. It would, in the first century, also entail forsaking paganism. And there's many different examples. That's just a, a very broad word that covers everything. But, but... Uh, in, especially in where you were located. I mean, in Corinth, what would that mean? If you became a Christian, that means you don't go and visit the temple prostitutes. I mean, you, that, that was part of their worship. And, and, uh, and actually, the immorality would be a very big part of Roman society. And so if you were a Christian and didn't participate in that, uh, there would be some things that, that uh, they would be culturally around, I suppose. Now, that... Immorality is not a cultural thing. That's, that's actually a moral uh, problem. There would be some things that, that, uh, that they would not partake in and not participate in. Idolatry is another one of those things. And, and not just about the Roman uh, emperor worship, but, but uh, it could be that where you shopped for, for your meat, 
could could lead some people to understand that uh, uh, you weren't doing the right thing. I mean, if, you know, meat sacrifice to idols and all that, that was a big deal. And, uh, and so then you would also, you know, think about that, this is, this is called, this is, when we're thinking about, I'm not asking the question about getting saved, okay? I want you to make sure you understand that. I'm saying, what does it mean to become a Christian, okay? And, and so, uh, you would go to these secret meetings that the Christians have. What do you mean secret meetings? Well, the, eventually, the, the pagans would, the non-Christians, would come up with all kinds of weird things that they thought the Christians did. And one of the things that the Christians were really exclusive about is that they wouldn't let unbelievers come to the Lord's Supper. And, uh, you know, they broke the bread from house to house. That was only for Christians. And so the, the pagans and their... their uh, perverted minds thought up of all kinds of perversions that the Christians must be doing in those, in those uh, meetings time. So if you're, if you're becoming a Christian, you're going to forsake a lot of things, you know, sexual immorality, paganism, idolatry. Uh, you're going to em embrace the Christian commitment. So, I mean, the Bible actually talks, we don't talk too much of this like being a cardinal sin, but, but not complaining. Uh, accepting your, your, your place in life and uh, don't gossip, don't cheat your, your boss, don't, 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 uh, uh, don't act in the way that most people would act uh, in a normal setting. So, and the, but there was also a public pronouncement of that fact that you have become a Christian, not just because you've, you're now hanging around with these, these Christian people, but there's actually something that you can go through, actually a public thing that helps people understand that now you have totally turned your back on paganism. You have totally turned your back, not just, and we can use, maybe that's not the best term to use, but you've turned your back on the gods. Now, wait a minute, what's the matter with you? Eventually, uh, the Roman, the Roman uh, uh, people who, who were, were uh, more nationalistic or loyal to the, the political government is that, man, uh, people are stopped worshiping the gods. And that's why we're getting attacked from the outside. This is you know, much later in the first century, but, but they would say people, uh, they're, they're, they're forsaking the worship of the gods, and so therefore the gods are punishing us with, with these attacks on the empire. But there was this public way of, of expressing this, this, this break, this, um, this change of life that, that a person would want to, to undergo. And that was baptism. And again, we're talking about, and I think this will help us in regard to the passages of scripture that add baptism to a gospel presentation or, or, or just include that in there. I think that's gonna help us because there are these different ways of expressing it, believe, trust Christ, uh, forsake sin, uh, repent, confess, uh, I think I already said receive, but believe and trust. All of those things are, are, are used, but, but sometimes baptism is too. And, and I think that it will help us if we understand what question is being asked, or, or what, should I, what should I do? I, I, I want to become a Christian. What does that mean? And of course, if you're talking with somebody, not just a quick thing and, hey, you know, I mean, cold turkey evangelism might work sometimes, and, you know, actually, I've seen it work, and I'm praising the Lord for it, but, you know, you know, God is preparing that person 
<clears throat> ahead of time, and uh, and you just come along and reap the harvest. That's wonderful. Praise the Lord. But but you know if you're talking and engaging with somebody, I mean, uh, eventually the the, the non Christians, I'll just call them the the. The Romans would say, what's the matter with you Christians, especially when they were willing to die for their faith? Look, this is, hey, I'm, I'm loyal to the gods too, but you know, don't get, don't go crazy about it. I mean, don't you just want to live a nice life and, and enjoy as much as you can while you're here on the earth, you know? What, what makes it so ultimate to you? And really, that, that, is, that was a, quite a convincing argument for the veracity of, of Christianity is that people were willing to die for it. So uh, uh, talking through all of these things, okay, so what does it mean to be a Christian? And if you're thinking about it that way, I think baptism would naturally come up. You know, I know you guys do these things, you know, we don't know what you do in the, you know, behind closed doors, but you know, a lot of times when you guys are initiating people into your group, you go down to the river and do this weird thing. What is that? And what does it mean? And that's why we have Romans 6. But, but um, the point is, is that these are our uh, understandings that I think will help us. So I'd like to direct your attention, if you would, to Mark chapter 16. And I understand that uh, the textual issue with this but um, I still think I would like for us to look here because it's, uh, I still think it's helpful and, and it's in the scriptures and we have to deal with that there too. Uh, this is uh, after Christ's resurrection. Very early in the morning, first day of the week, they come to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun and you know all, all of that, Christ is not there. He appears um, he appeared to Mary Magdalene in verse 9. And, uh, and then afterwards, verse 14, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. Uh, they'll cast out demons and speak with tongues. They'll take up serpents and all the rest of that. But uh, there's a passage of scripture where he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Uh, but he that believeth not shall be damned. I think that's fairly clear to many of us because uh, some people say that's a, a reference to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So we know that when we are saved, uh, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that comes later after much prayer and a lot of ecstatic speech or something like that. Baptism of the Holy Spirit is when Christ placed you in the body of Christ and that's really clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, 12 and verse 12 and 13 there. So that means you're part of the body of Christ. So that happens at salvation. Uh, could be that. But, but the point there uh, is that he that believeth not uh, shall be damned. That is, what is going to separate you from God? It's the fact that you believed or you didn't believe, okay? So that's all I want to uh, say there. But those are the kind of passages that I'm talking about. And I wish we could be comprehensive in that. But again, I'm just trying to um, cut things into bite-sized chunks. Let's go to Acts chapter 1. We'll be, sorry, Acts chapter 2. We'll be in the book of Acts uh, for the rest of the time tonight. 
what does it mean to become a Christian? Okay? And Acts chapter 2 is really, really important because here's the birthday of the church, and here's where it all gets started. And let's pick it up at, uh, and, and this is the, the preaching at Pentecost, where it's primarily to, well, it's to Jewish people, but they were from different places around the world. They heard the, the word preached to them in their own language. Peter is preaching to them, and he's preaching hard. And it's the ones you uh, uh, have, have uh, the, the, this ones that you are responsible for, uh, for and for the crucifixion and all that stuff. So, uh, uh, whom ye have crucified, verse 36, Jesus, uh, both Lord and Christ. And so, verse 37, this is really why I want us to pick it up. It says, now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart. And they said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ for the remission of your sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That, by the way, that gift of the Holy Ghost was promised all the way since the upper room discourse and Acts 1 and all of that. So uh, there's no question about um, what that is about. But... Um, and that's something unique for our age in which we live in, that we have the abiding, uh, abiding and dwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. But this repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now, I think especially with the whole revelation of scriptures that we have now, I mean, that just makes perfect sense to me. Because he's saying, repent, turn away from your sins. What does baptism picture in, in Romans uh, 6? That, that you're dead to your sins, just like Christ actually died on the cross for us. We're supposed to be dead to our sins, so that way a temptation would, you would react to a t temptation as if you're trying to tempt a dead body. It's just not going to do anything. And, uh, and that's, that's uh, the idea there. Um, Repent every one of you in the name of Christ Jesus for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. What's Peter trying to do? He's trying to preach to them, to Jewish people, that Jesus is the Christ, that he died on the cross for their sins, and that they should become believers too. They should become Christians too. Uh, and then he says, for this promises to you and your children, to many that are far off. Now, even as the Lord uh, our God shall call. And I've talked to you about this uh, verse. This promise is not the promise of infant baptism or, or uh, of a covenant community. This promise is the promise that's been talked about in the previous verse in the immediate context, this gift of the Holy Ghost. And again, that was in Roman. That's in Acts one. It's in the upper room discourse. It's something that's been talked all the way through. And in fact, the other gospel writers even mention it too. So, so that's what the promise. And who is it promised to? It's for you, your children, and everybody else. All who are fall off. And I think Peter might even be referring to Gentiles there, which, in the context in which he's preaching to, it would be absolutely. Uh, mind-boggling to them. I mean, because some of the Jewish people in Jerusalem aren't even too sure about the Jewish people that live on the other side of the empire that came to visit that time. You know, I mean, they're just, you know. So, uh, and many other words, he did testify and exhort, uh, saying, save yourself from this untoward generation, or this, this uh, awful generation. They that gladly received his word, I'm reading verse 41, were baptized, and the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And uh, many people would look at this and say, well, how could that ever have happened? 
And of course, if you've been to, to Jerusalem near the Temple Mount, you could see how very well easily it could happen because there were baptismal pools that Jewish people would ceremoniously uh, immerse themselves in before going into the Temple. So somebody said, you know, for the, about how many they thought they were worried, you could probably get it all done in about 45 minutes. So, I don't know. But in any way, I don't think that's a problem. Anyway, they that uh, continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and breaking in bread and, prayer, uh, uh, and in prayers. So here they were part of the Christian committee, community. These people were added to them about 3,000 souls. They knew who they were and they knew who weren't too. I mean, I don't know if they wrote it down or something like that or had a... Uh, Deacons meeting had gave their testimony for the deacons and, and then they swore them in or something. But but the point is is that they were part of a Christian community and they acted and they functioned that way too. Uh, and and of course uh, with with uh, the birth of the church and and that would that would work its way out chapter three chapter four chapter five as it goes. But what we have here is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. So some teaching, ministry, gathering in group uh, to do that. They, that exhortation was, was there. And then the breaking of bread and prayer. So they actually uh, used that oftentimes as a uh, euphemism for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. So that's a good thing. These people were added to the community of believers. Of course, before they were added, there wasn't that many of them. There was about 11 or 12, you know, just the apostles. Uh, but here people are getting saved, and they're having this promise of the Holy Spirit, and, and then they're also doing this thing that would identify them in some peculiar way. Now, the Jewish people are used to baptism. What, what's probably different about baptism in their mind to us is that they all self-baptize. They, they just baptize themselves. They would go into this mikvah and go down into the water and, and then come back up. They wouldn't have anybody baptize them uh, like what had been done uh, with some, many of the disciples and things with, with in Christ's ministry or John's ministry and others. But, um, but that wouldn't have been too, too different, but it meant something different and, and, and people understood this is the way that I identify with Jesus Christ. He's, and of course, that's completely in the context right there. I mean, look at verse 36. You, the one whom you crucified. Uh, and of course, uh, I think what Peter's doing there is that he's saying you crucified him because you're a sinner and you died for your sins. Because obviously these people weren't even probably around on the day of the crucifixion. So, I mean, some sort of weird, ridiculous thing about being angry with Jewish people because the crucifixion of Christ is absolutely ridiculous. Uh, do you know who crucified Christ is you and I sins. So if you want to look at who's at fault, just we look in the mirror, honestly. So point is, though, uh, they wanted to practice this outward uh, act because how do you know you believed or not? How do you know you believed or not? I don't know. I mean, uh, if you believed or not. And do I know that for sure you're a believer? I mean, I'm not the one who, who decides that. But... But letting other people know was something that happened immediately. Immediately. They, they wanted to let other people, I'm different now. I'm living a new life. I'm living for somebody else. And I'm living in the grace of, that Christ provided me by taking my sins away. So uh, that's a wonderful thing. 
that's a glorious thing, but that's, that's uh, something that, that I think perhaps uh, could be lost on us who don't live in a persecuted situation, in a persecuted society. Now, there are persecuted societies around today, and, and I mean, I've been to, you know, what, I don't know whatever you want to call it, these restricted access areas. I've been to two of them. And, uh, well, if you count India, I suppose it's a bit more of the, but anyway, you just have to be careful. But, um, but I do notice, and I think maybe because of India, because I've been there so often, uh, I was in an area that, that's a very strong Muslim po population there, but also historically speaking, if you go back hundreds of years to the beginning of the missionary movement, this has been an area that had been evangelized by generations after William Carey in, in that part of India. So, so Christians were, were, Christianity was known there. But there's a different mindset that you live under when you know that that pressure is always there. And I, I don't know how I can explain it to you. All I can know is, I mean, because I'm American and they, in both places, three places I've been to, uh, very insistent, you keep your passport on you at all times. If something bad happens, we'll get you to the airport, but that's all about what we can do. That's all, you know, I'll get you in a taxi and you can go to the airport and that's, that's all we can do. So you've got to have that on you all the time. And um, I remember I didn't take that seriously one time we were at, uh, and the police were stopping the cars and stuff. And, and boy, I made sure that every other time I had it with me because it really put the people I was with in a bad spot. So, uh, but the mentality of, of what I observed other people, other Christian believers, of course, they're a different culture than me, and, and there's language issues too because they're talking and, and but what they're what they're concerned about when their voices lower, lower and their skin tightens around their their on their face because look, this is you know this could be really a problem, and and of course I don't want to be part of them, making them having a problem or anything, but but the mentality of that is different now. Of course, than what we're used to. You, you can say, oh, well, you know, we're persecuted a lot more today than we ever were 60 years ago. Maybe that's true, but I'm not talking about uh, the persecution that we're facing here in the United States. I'm not discounting that, but I'm just saying that it's not the same. Uh, I was in a, another place where, where in 2013, where somebody talked about he wanted to address the rest of the pastors about what it was like to be arrested and taken to prison. And, uh, and you know, you're supposed to get a card that says when you get out, he never got a card. He didn't know when he was getting out. He didn't know he would get out. And some of the things that, that the, the guards would have the other prisoners do to him, because uh, the guards didn't want to be accused of, you know, any of that. So they'd have the other prisoners do it, pretty horrible stuff. Uh, God did... Uh, allow him to, to get out and uh, and wonderful and here he is in this place in the middle of where I was and, and sharing this wonderful testimony but that does something to you it, it really does and particularly in that situation in that particular area I knew we were hiding uh, in, a, in a city of 10 million 
and that was probably the best thing you could do because you could you know go out in the middle of nowhere but but sometimes it's actually easier to hide it sort of plate sight I think that's kind of what the idea was but but the point is is uh, that there's there's a there's a pressure there even in the worship services that you can see that there's a wonderful rejoicing but when it's over I know what I have to go back to one particular gentleman was was a worked at the newspaper. Well, if it would have been discovered that he was a Christian, he'd have been in big, big trouble. I'm just trying to put that in your minds because when you make a public step like this of baptism, that now I belong to this community over here and I'm not gonna do what you, I'm not gonna fit in with you anymore. Now we would think of that more in a cultural, social thing, you know, uh, you know, we all, wear the sort of the same clothes and you know that I mean we've got things the way we do things not talking about that you're really turning your back on what society thinks is not just normal but proper and you're going off as some weirdo thing that oh man people get in trouble there and uh, uh, they could suffer and you know you could end up in the arena for that so here this baptism thing really did mean something and, I, and I, I'm trying to get back to that because it just doesn't carry that kind of connotation where we are today and, and that's why I think that's probably the biggest thing that separates us from the, the first century. We just don't get what it's like uh, till you know early fourth century when, it was, when Christianity was legalized. What it was like to go through that, that kind of, of of persecution, really. And uh, so that really was the big, you know, drawing the line in the sand moment. When you underwent a baptism, that means you're one of them. And you're, you're, you're really, really um, identified with that movement. Now, so here we are in Acts chapter 2. It's the very beginning of it all. They, re they really didn't know who were part of them. These, you know, they, they were added unto them 3,000 souls. And so what does it mean to become a Christian? Well, I think if you understand what I'm saying here, you will understand what I'm saying when I say baptism was part of becoming a Christian. Now, I'm not saying that baptism was a part of of, of your eternal salvation because I don't think, you know, the Bible doesn't teach that at all and we're going to see where that's illustrated very, very clearly. But baptism in that sense was a part of how you identified as a believer. You understand what I'm saying? Uh, not, not for salvation, but, but in the society you lived in. And the thing is, it would be okay. In my notes, it would be okay if... To become a Christian, you hid your faith all the time. Okay? It would be okay if that's what it meant to become a Christian. But what was Jesus exhorting them in Mark 16, or, or uh, the Great Commission, and, and also in the book of, of Acts, while Peter is preaching this openly, and, and later, just in the next um, few chapters, he's going to suffer persecution. But we're not supposed to just keep it to ourselves. We're not supposed to just make sure no one finds out 
And you know, what I do on the weekends with my fellow believers is my business, but I won't tell anybody else. In fact, that's the exact opposite of being a Christian, really. So you're supposed to tell everybody about it. And oh, so-and-so, did you hear that? He got baptized. Wow. Why did he do that? I mean, he had a great career before him, especially in the military. I mean, they wanted to get all the, the, the believing soldiers out. And, and uh, apparently uh, the emperor had them right in his household, didn't even know. But, but uh, and of course, I think Paul's responsible for some of that. Those soldiers, I think, that listened to him preach the gospel, some of them got saved. But, but uh, do you know what's, what's in for you if you take that step? That's an outward thing everybody sees. In fact, we're supposed to all see it. That's why we have baptisms that are public. You're like, well, how else would you have baptisms? There's lots of people where it's not public at all. Well, you know, infant baptism, we'll get a couple of people in the back of the church and do the thing there too, whatever, as people are leaving in the church or whatever. It's, it's not really that public of a thing, but that's not the way it was intended. So, so uh, here what they're trying to do, what, what Peter and, and the rest of the disciples are doing, they're, they're trying to build the church and they're trying to evangelize and uh, that's going to get them into trouble all right so that's what it meant when i say or i could say i want you to understand it uh, in this context that baptism is a part of becoming a christian in the sense that how am i going to be known as a christian okay so i'm not saying that but let's look at a different question and let's go to Acts chapter 16. This is a, a familiar passage of scripture. Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas go separate directions uh, over an issue of discipleship, John Mark. Paul does not uh, forsake that model of discipleship. He chooses Silas, in fact, and takes him with him. And then just a few verses later, he gets the perhaps one of the most well-known disciples ever with Timothy in uh, chapter 16, verse 1. So, and he found Timothy because he's looking for him. Well, that doesn't all go well from a human point of view when uh, they are in uh, Philippi, verse 11. And, uh, and let's uh, go up. They, they, they preach. There's some, uh, uh, this, this uh, servant girl who's following Christ. Uh, Paul around and, and he threw a cast a demon out that caused all kinds of problems and uh, verse uh, well let's uh, let's go to verse uh, 37 uh, well not quite that um, they get in trouble and um, um, verse 22 the multitude rode up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to be beaten them to beat them uh, when made, laid many stripes on them, they cast them into the prison, uh, charging the jailer to, to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. I mean, you know, there's, there's no really much point of that when you're in the prison, okay? And then you're in this inner prison, and then, just to make sure, and there's nowhere to go here, you're in the center part of it, there's no way out, and then we're going to put you in the stocks too. At midnight, Paul and Silas sing praises. 
uh, saying praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. All of these things, the, the foundations of the prison were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosened. That was an amazing miracle. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his seat, sleep, seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself. I mean, might as well him do it rather than the Romans do it, because this is what's going to happen to him if he didn't. Supposing that the prisoners had fled. But, call, well, sorry, but Paul cried with a loud voice, uh, saying, Do thyself no harm, or we're all here. For he called, and he called for a light, and sprang in. He was anxious to see this, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, and here's the question he had for them. Here's the key question. What do I do to become like one of you guys? No, he didn't ask that. He says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And there's no mention of baptism until later in the, in the text. Look at the answer that Paul gives him. As far as Paul's concerned, Paul doesn't know there's going to be a rejoicing at the guy's home and he's going to wash his stripes from him and, and, and he's going to get saved and everything's good and good. As far as Paul's concerned, this is the only chance he's got to do that he has to explain what to answer his question. So he's going to give him exactly what the, the man asked for. And he said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Those are the ones who are doing the believing are those the ones who are going to be getting the saving. That's a really hard thing for those particular Christian groups that believe that salvation is uh, baptism is a part of salvation. Now, there are some churches out there, this is different than the Lutheran thing that I was talking about before that says baptism and justification happen together. But, but they would say that part of your salvation is that you have to go get baptized. You're not saved without baptism. And that's part of the Christian churches. And they're actually very, very popular in Indiana. And I don't know why, but at least in the sort of rural areas, and that my sister lives there, and uh, you see Christian churches everywhere, and this is part of their belief. And and if you look in different books, I have you know one book, four views on baptism, and they have uh, one from this perspective, and they go to these other passages of scripture. But this is an airtight passage of scripture that yes, there was baptism later, but that's not part of the answer to the question that Paul uh, gave. Uh, to to the uh, jailer. Again, I mean, you know, as far as Paul knows, maybe he is going to commit suicide uh, if he doesn't uh, like what Paul's answer is. Paul gave him the answer he needed. And the answer was, is that belief is what's necessary. When the question is, what, does it, what do I do to get saved? The answer is to believe in Jesus Christ. Now you need to believe, what do you believe about him? That you're a sinner and you're lost and that he died in your place to take the penalty of your sins for you. I think all that was clear. And, and uh, they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And so he took him out, washed him, and, and was baptized. So, so there was more teaching going on too. But I think that he, I mean, we, you know, we know the story, so it's no big deal to us. But in the drama of the moment, this was a key answer here. And he doesn't mention it as part of the process. And we know from our theolo theological perspective, that's not what baptism does. Uh, so we wouldn't have expected it. But, but this is really key for us to understand. And you know, baptism 
uh, is important, but it's not important for salvation. And so I just want to, just want to, um, to, to, for you to understand, especially in today's society, this is, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult for us to, to, to understand the question of what does it mean to become a Christian? Because, you know, if you basically, I mean, there's, there's such a wide variety and, you know, hey, I, uh, I stay faithful to my wife. That must make me pretty good, right? I mean, the, the works just, the good works just come right into it. And, uh, and we just don't have that, that uh, uh, element of, of persecution. And I think that's unfortunate <laughs> in a sense that we, uh, people have said that the uh, churches are growing in certain areas of the world, but we would say should not be growing because they're being persecuted the most. But actually, that might be a good shot in our arm too. Now, no one's gonna sign up and say, hey, I'll be the first one uh, to the electric chair or whatever. Uh, but, if, if, uh, but it just puts a dynamic into our thought process that we just don't have. And baptism is important. Baptism does identify you as someone who wants to follow Christ. And you want to live that in your life. And that's a reminder to you to do it. But it doesn't save you. I think you've already heard me say that, so I won't go on that forever. But the point is, is here is our case study that's really helpful for us to understand the, two, the differences between the two questions. All right, let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for, for your word. And uh, though we review these things that we know well in our minds, we know that uh, some people uh, misunderstand the scriptures, and, and uh, we know that we're very capable of that too and so we humbly open your word uh, with trembling fingers realizing that that uh, your word is holy and your word is powerful and from what we can understand from your word we know that that uh, baptism was a wonderful thing but it doesn't save us thank you father for making that clear in your word for us and thank you for also the opportunity that, that perhaps most of us have had to be baptized so that we are saying to others, we are followers of Christ. Father, I pray that you would help us to live out our baptism in our lives, the decision we made in baptism. That's a public decision that marks us out, that separates us as one of your children. And for this we pray of help and guidance and strength to do that, even the coming week in Jesus' name. Amen.